Benjamin Me, a classic uh, tragic hero. Really a Bionic hero, if you think about it. All right, okay, okay. I you said Bionic hero. I was like, a Bionicle hero? <laughs> this, man's, this man's made of Legos. If you look close, you can see it. All right, okay. Let's start the let's start the freaking show. Start it up. Hey, I'm working on a podcast and you're all invited. And you're all invited. Oh, oh. And as I'm looking at the guests, I'm getting so excited. Getting so excited. There's gonna be birds with pretty feathers. Fish with shiny fins. Slimy, slimy reptiles and a few amphibians. Oh, so many mammals and marsupials too. They're coming on the pod because it's cold. We bought a zoo. 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 Welcome to We Pot a Zoo. Uh, my name is Zach, and this is the second or third episode of the show, potentially, depending on if I split up the three-hour first recording into two episodes. Don't do it. I want to do it. I, I have to do it. It's insane. It would be insane. Well, I guess if you're listening to this, you will have already. You'll you'll know whether or not I did or not. Um, I'm joined by my good friend Spencer Rothrose who is a writer and a filmmaker who you might know from his contributions to The Onion and McSweeney's. Uh, this is Spencer. Hey there, Zach. I am beyond excited to be uh, featured. This is my first podcast. Really? It's my first podcast. Whoa. Uh, I've always said I was going to start one. I have you know, a dozen in the works, ostensibly, but uh, this is the first time that I'm actually uh, recording with someone. That's all. Uh, let's let's take a quick pause and tell me, pitch me all the podcasts that you're working on. I'll I'll, t- I'll pitch you on the one that I'm actually really excited about, which is okay. Um, as long as not... you, as long as you don't want anyone to steal it, I'll, I'll tell you the first the first episode. There's going to okay. be some stuff that happens afterwards, but the first episode is essentially the the rise and fall of Movie Pass. Oh, it's, okay. It's that the movie subscription service we all love to know, the one yeah. that we all love to. Uh, go every every few days to the movies mm, and what I love go- to it. I love going to the movies in 2020. It's it's such a specific time in my life that that was. <laughs> it like immediately brings me back to like, you know, the Florida project. Mm. That was like exactly right in there. So Wonder, Wonder Woman was that? Did we see that together? We did see Wonder Woman together. I don't remember if that was a movie pass. We snuck into Wonder Woman. We double we? featured Wonder Woman and like a Planet of the Apes, I think. No, it wasn't Planet of the Apes. Was it Shazam? It wasn't Shazam. What was it? I know I that I... What? I did a couple, like, mm. double features at, at the 34th Street, like, Herald Square AMC. The one that's, like, yes. four stories, so you can easily just... Yes, I did them. that. To, I think I we must have did a double feature. Or, or did I... Oh, my God. This is so frustrating. Did I stay behind and watch Shazam? Because I know I double featured something in Shazam. Oh, now I'm just trying to rack my brain. <laughs> There's just w- 15 seconds of silence on this podcast while you <laughs> remember the movie you saw. <laughs> uh, the last double feature that I did, uh, I watched Star Wars Episode Nine. unfortunately. <sighs> yeah, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I'm pretty and sure then, I texted you right after I saw that. Yeah, bad experience. And then I snuck into Cats. <laughs> <sighs> Which was, was worse? Star Wars. <laughs> Cats is on Star HBO Wars. now. That's incredible. I'm trying to convince um, 
my my lovely girlfriend. I'm gonna call my girlfriend Captain Haddock on this podcast. <laughs> I've thought about this. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna go with. So should I, should I not say her name? Should I refer to her as Captain Haddock? She said it's fine to say her name, but I want to call her Captain Haddock. Why? Did you recently um, watch Tintin? What's going on? Well, we're actually going to be that for Halloween, which is... You're going to be both be Captain Haddock? We're going to be two Captain Haddocks. One of is going to be slightly <laughs> taller than the other. Uh, so wait, no, she's Captain Haddock. You're going to be Tintin? I'm going to be Tintin. Um, okay. My other roommate is going to be Snowy. We're very wow. excited. That's incredible. What are you going to do for Halloween? Can I ask? We're going to friggin hang out at the apartment and um the three of you in costume i want to do a double feature of cats and hoobie halloween that's what i want to do but you're not going to watch tintin no <laughs> we're, we're gonna be tintin tintin doesn't know that there's a movie about him it would break the fiction if you guys watched tintin yeah that's too many layers that we're like <laughs> extracting doesn't work should you tell me that you haven't watched hoobie halloween yet I've not watched Hoobie Halloween. Oh, you it's recommend? really bad. Oh, my God. Bad, but like what kind of bad? Bad, like it's a movie. I mean, this is now a Hubie Halloween podcast. Uh, it's a movie that trips over itself with how many subplots it has going on. It, it, it gets distracted by itself and it doesn't quite figure out what it's about until the end of the movie, where then you kind of look back on the movie and say, huh, I guess that's what it was about. But until you get there, the movie just meanders for... An hour and 45 minutes, which is too long. Wow. An hour of like Adam Sandler antics for that long. Adam Sandler doing this voice. It's it's this voice for an hour and 45 minutes. It's too much. I'm going to watch it and I'm probably going to think it's not great. It's not great. But I'm going to have a good time. But you know who is great in this movie? Maya Rudolph? Uh, She's okay. Steve Buscemi. Right. I forgot the Boosh is in it. The Boosh is in this movie and he is truly incredible as uh a man who may or may not be a werewolf Mm. okay are we talking like a what we do in the shadows kind of like everyday werewolf kind of situation we're we're talking about part of the mystery is trying to is figuring out this guy's deal so i don't want to spoil it so it's like um it's like the bailey school kids i is that the like the like werewolves don't teach math class (laughs) yeah is that that series do they have those in in canada uh, yes, they did. I remember they had the they had like that rack in the school library that was like the, that genre of kids books mm-hmm. where it was like Magic Tree House. Magic Tree House. No, Magic Tree House was a little younger. Um, at least in that section, we didn't have Magic Tree House because this was in like middle school, mm-hmm. and that and that swung younger. But for whatever reason, we had these books and we had like Goosebumps. Goosebumps was there. Goosebumps is good shit. Yeah, have you watched the Goosebumps movie? No, I haven't. With Jack Jack Black. That one's fun. That one's charming. That is like a charming kids movie. I haven't watched the sequel, but that one is good. You know, R.L. Stein would write a book in like a week. That doesn't surprise me. Those he books had are a, short. He had a period of six years, I think, in the '90s, where he would publish a book a month. Wow. That man would write so fast. Not even like fucking copy edit. Like he would just send everything off. Just the raw, like, imaginative power of that man. He'd send it off to his publisher. They'd say, thank you, RL. We're, we're going to publish this. It was amazing. Wow. I that You know, it doesn't surprise me, but I never really considered the logistics of it, of, mm-hmm. like, to create that volume of work. That is what it takes on that that level. Anyway, this is a podcast about the movie We Bought a Zoo, directed by Cameron Crowe. 
which um, we love we love to talk about in the first love, 15 minutes of the pod we, we absolutely adore talking about this movie and nothing else um, <laughs> <laughs> um i uh I'm excited to have you on because this is going to be uh, a dad-centric episode. This episode of the podcast, I want to really get each episode, after the first one, which was kind of a broad strokes, or first two, depending on how it was split up, a really kind of broad strokes overview of the film. I want kind of the subsequent episodes to get more into the nitty-gritty of the characters and the world building and the symbols and uh, really what this movie is about on a, on a core level. And so this movie is really, I think one of the strongest aspects of this movie is the dynamic between the father and the son. That that's really where, where the meat of it does come into play. Like you could, you could say it's a man, it's about the relationship between you know, a man and his dead wife. You could say it's a, a movie about a relationship between a man and a zoo, but really, yeah, I think I think out of all of it, it's it's least about the man and the zoo. I think it's, you know, it's a movie about grief and it's a movie about at, at its center, uh, a, a man trying to find his identity as a father through hard times. Mm-hmm. I agree, and there's of course there's how how quickly the son has to grow up. Mm-hmm. whether he's allowed to be a son in relation to the father yeah. what the, what the what the father needs from him as a son there's mm-hmm. a lot of the whole movie has a lot of like weird kid I still don't think Cameron Crowe can write children I think he, he sometimes can it's so interesting it he, there are scenes when when the scenes work with children they work and you don't notice it cuz they're good but the scenes that stick out stick out like a sore thumb they do because they are bizarre like rosie being like everyone says you're a dick but i don't believe it like that's insane um her being like you're handsomer than the other dads uh the whole 20 seconds of insane courage declaration of love to l fanning from the boy is insane <sighs> that Doesn't... scene i have some thoughts about that scene i have, a th- I have some thoughts about l fanning in that movie I, I think she i think she's great we can fight about it but no i I, I, I like her performance i think she's very talented yeah the character is like just manic pixie dream zookeeper 13 year old i disagree i disagree really i think she is a a very well realized vision of a socially awkward young person who has has no exposure to people her own age i don't think she's a manic pixie zookeeper girl because she doesn't embody any like of the the quirkiness that dylan wants you know he's not like some dylan doesn't lust after her he barely clocks her right he she's she is 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 pining after him with like such uh such vigor and not knowing how to express it i think if anything she's a tragic character because she has all these wants and needs but she is so unable to express herself in that way because she doesn't know how because she has been homeschooled living on a zoo Right. That that is a good point that she just is is not socialized well, I guess, to mm-hmm. her peers. Um I just thought every time she she dances off screen, yeah. I was like I just as well we'll get into like me self-identifying with uh the characters in this movie. Yeah. Uh sooner or later, but um <laughs> you know, I I've been on enough family uh trips and adventures of that type with my own father that I, I know I texted you halfway through. I was like, there is never an L. Fanning character when you're that right. boy. 
and you're on this trip with your dad. That's that's fair. I mean, she is unrealistically quirky in that sense, and I'll, I'll agree with you there. But I think she's well realized in her unrealistic quirkiness. But sure. let's let's. You just mentioned your father. Let's talk about why you're on this episode. Why you are kind of the the right person to talk about this uh, movie dad situation. Uh, I just love dads. You know, I'm a big, big dad <laughs> you're, guy. You're a real dad guy. Um. Well, a little bit about my uh, my own family history. My my dad is a writer. Um, he's a, a travel writer. He's written memoirs, um, some fiction, that sort of much thing. Like, much like Benjamin Me, travel writer who wrote a memoir. Well, there's a lot of I think overlap in at least the the first during that opening sequence where they're showing him kind of traveling around the world and going on adventures, right? And then writing about them. That's mm-hmm. that's a big thing my dad does. He's like written books about his own adventures in China, in New Mexico, in, you know, wherever, wherever have you. And so I guess like, I think I was sensitive to Benjamin Mee's portrayal of himself, I guess, in this movie, because it's based on his memoir. It's based on obviously. his memoir, which I haven't read. I'm saving that for a future episode. That's cute. I, I will be doing a, a read through of the book. We bought a zoo. Uh, like a live is, read through, like a book on tape. <laughs> I don't think a book on tape. I think like a maybe, maybe not chapter by chapter because that would take too long. But you know, a a uh, maybe a few episodes reading through the book and comparing yeah. it to the film. But Love it. but yes. Yeah, so this this is Benjamin Me filtered through Cameron Crowe. Obviously, there there are some differences. Uh, like I, I know it took him several years to actually buy the zoo. His wife didn't die until after they bought the zoo. Like there Whoa, there are some okay. yeah. Yeah, so the the death of his wife was not the impetus to to buy the zoo. So, so there are some key differences there, but keep going. So I was sensitive to how he portrays himself, I think, uh in in his memoir that is turned into the movie because I think there's a certain type of writer uh of it's certainly a, a male of a certain age writer, I think, mm-hmm. that portrays themselves as the protagonist in their own writing and Mm. uses those around them uh, as convenient supporting characters to support their own narrative. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to psychologize the real Benjamin me too much without having read his work, but that is definitely, that applies definitely to this movie version, Benjamin me, who even like in his pitch to his boss about his new series wants to use his kids as the center for like that, technology series that he's pitching like he's he's trying to cast his family as these characters for his writing exactly and i've i've been written about by my dad he's written about all of his children i have three brothers um and sometimes it's been less than flattering Mm. um not me specifically but um certain others in my family this is all going to get traced back so easily um i don't know why i'm trying <laughs> I do, to like do you want to cut this what do you want <laughs> uh we, we can talk about it um, oh my god okay well no but it it's it's a way to it's possible to alienate those close to you by writing mm. about them in a way uh that portrays yourself as the the person who grows and the person who changes you risk turning mm. the people around you into plot devices essentially yeah plot devices or caricaturized versions of themselves i think that in in this movie especially i think that almost every character is is very weirdly characterized caricaturized um 
side characters, I should say. I think, you know, we can talk about Dylan, but I actually think that he is, when it comes to the relationship with his dad, I think is fairly well written. Yes, I, I like Dylan as a character, and I thought it did. The movie definitely allowed him, um, it deepened their relationship, I think, mm-hmm. around that like two-thirds mark when they have that blow-up. Uh, in the that's house. my favorite that's my favorite scene in the movie. it's a good scene it's objectively a good scene and i was surprised to have that because for the first while i was thinking oh he's gonna you know he's gonna be like this kind of virtuous savior type who comes in and you know his only crime is caring too much yeah but and... no he's he's a neglectful father to his son he really he pays way more attention to rosie and he knows it and he's doing it deliberately right um and i i do yeah i, th- I think the movie did uh it surprised me in that way and I was I was pleased to see that because I think that that type of character is too easily like smoothed over. Yes, it's it's nice to see a character who's allowed to be a bit of a dick. I agree. Yeah. And he's allowed to be a bit of a dick and he's not he, he's not afraid to like portray himself. I, again, I don't know if. Ben yeah, Sweeney I think wrote this. I, I, so it's, it's tough I'm, to like really psychologize that you're right. Yeah. So I don't want to say like it's, you know, because I don't know what the real Benjamin Mee's relationship to his son is. Right. You know. But this is at least at least fictional Benjamin Me, movie Ben Me, Matt Damon Ben Me, is allowed to be this kind of dick character. I, I guess let's let's pause on dad talk. I definitely want to get in, back into I guess like the more nitty gritty dad talk, and especially how how your own father. If you're are you able to talk about that? I like I don't want to. He's not gonna know this podcast is coming out. Okay, yeah, like, we're not gonna we're not gonna tell him. I'm not worried. Which which Tintin character should I use to refer to him? Um, Bianca Castafiore. All right, so Bianca Castafiore is not gonna know about this freaking podcast, and we can just say whatever whatever we want about him. Can we talk about the uh, the movie that almost got made? Oh, uh, the the China one. Is it that one? You remember I, this? I remember there was going to be a movie adapted from from your father's writing starring someone big that's right i i yeah um my dad wrote a book um about him going to china uh to with his cousin his kind of estranged cousin um to get him a black market kidney so it's it's a farce it's like a travel farce about um organ trafficking based on a true story based on true story he was the only one there, so we don't know how true it is. That, that's another thing in my dad's writing. He tends to uh, exaggerate and fictionalize a little bit, so we mm-hmm. kind of have to take his word for it, um, which also does come into play because he fictionalizes certain people in certain ways that, you know, might mm-hmm. make them feel not so great. I'm making a little face at the camera right now. Yeah, oh, that that face is coming through loud and strong. Mm. And the, the movie was going, it was uh, picked up by Richard Linkletter, he was, it was between that and Everybody Wants Some. Right. <laughs> Which, the movie that everyone remembers. The movie that everyone remembers, but at least, you know, was made. Yeah. Um, it was going to star Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis. Wow, and I forgot about that. That's an insane cast. Yeah, it, it made it pretty much as close as you can get while still being stuck in development hell for the past 10 years. Wow. So... That was going to be a thing. It was going to be, you know, we bought a zoo, but in China and with kidneys. <laughs> we bought a kidney. We, we bought a kidney uh, in China for probably not very much. Probably less than it would cost. What am I saying? Definitely less than it would cost in the States. Right. Because, you know, political prisoners, they don't have as much say over uh, where their kidneys mm. go. Mm. 
Wah, All right, wah. let's let's walk out of this murky water. Let's tread. <laughs> <laughs> let's wade out of this. Yeah, we didn't and... look too closely into where the kidney came from. Uh, here's a segment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Organ this talk. Movie, this movie's about a zoo. Um, and uh, you and I have been to a zoo together, Spencer. We went to a zoo in freshman year of college. I just remember that. Yeah. Um, we were in the same acting class and one of the assignments was to go to the local zoo. What was the name of the zoo? Roger Williams Park Zoo. Roger Williams Park Zoo. And pick an animal and then study that animal and then embody that animal. You were a turtle, if I remember correctly. I was a, a shelled turtle. Tortoise. I, remember, tortoise. I don't don't remember what kind of tor- tortoise it was, but I was a tortoise. I, I walked around and I, I had I put on this voice and I was an old turtle. Um. Well, I don't remember what you were. I was a giraffe. Yes. Oh, I remember you and Sam. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And we... you like walked around with like your neck swaying. I remember that. Yeah, it wasn't a very good performance, if I remember correctly. Um, <laughs> didn't you was, like do coke? Didn't like you do cocaine? Or something? It was very freshman year of like we can <laughs> pretend to be really fucked up in class and get credit for it. Um, and yeah, that wasn't so good. But you know, yeah. we we got to go to a zoo, and that was really really made right. It all so worth this it. this is the segment that I am trying to introduce, which is let's talk about. I don't have a name for the segment yet, but let's talk about your zoo experiences you know this is a movie that is about children growing up in a zoo in some respect it's about people who have fond memories of zoos it's about people who are are working together to create memories so tell me about your zoo memories spencer tell me about tell me about did you ever go to go to the zoo as a kid did you ever go to to an aquarium as a kid I loved I loved zoos. I loved aquariums. I grew up going to the Roger Williams Park Zoo, which is oh right because you're you're from the area. Yeah. I am. That's why it came so uh, quickly to my memory. Yep. And I would go to the New England Aquarium. I would go to the Mystic Aquarium. I always just liked uh, exploring. I liked I liked how every the zoos were all split up into different sections based on part of the world. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was fun. I always felt like I was you know globe hopping, just by popping from one place to the other have you ever been to montreal i have did you ever go to the biodome i've been outside the biodome ah okay because <laughs> that is that is at least my kind of like major reference point for zoos as a child because i grew up in, in montreal but i that kind of environment is realized so excellently there where you are physically walking from biome to biome mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know going inside like you're you know, you're in this climate controlled environment where, you know, you're in the rainforest and then you walk through a tunnel and, uh, you know, now you're in the tundra and, and you know, it, it's, you go from like sweating to, you need to put on a sweater to, oh, now, now you're in the, the, the woods of the Adirondacks or whatever. Like you, you're really like going through all of these environments and as a kid, especially like, it's such a cool thing to be like, wow, I'm all over the world, but you're just like, in this weird building in Montreal. Um, I think that's so cool. Yeah, I loved it. I, I fucking loved it. The A couple years ago, um, the lovely Captain Haddock and I went to <laughs> uh, California. We went to San yeah. Francisco and we went to the Explore, uh, not the Exploratorium, shout out Sam Hefluthi. We went to the <laughs> California Academy of Sciences. Okay. And they have a, almost a mini biodome 
inside there, it's all glass. And you walk up in kind of a spiral around the outside and you walk up through the layers of the rainforest. So you start at the forest floor, Ooh. you walk up through the canopy. There are birds and butterflies flying all around and you get up to the top. You walk into this, into a passageway. You enter an elevator, a glass elevator. Very Wonka. Very Wonka. The elevator takes you down through the layers of the canopy again in reverse. So you're going down, down, down until you go, uh, you hit the rainforest floor and you go underwater. Whoa. Under the water with all these tropical fish. We lost our minds. I'm grinning ear to ear. Like this is incredible. I, this is, this sounds so fucking cool. Yeah. I cannot recommend that enough. Like we just weren't expecting it. We didn't know that elevators could take you from the air into (laughs) the water. (laughs) And then it did. Oh, wow. I, that sounds incredibly claustrophobic. Like, I feel like if I wasn't expecting it, I'd have a panic attack. But mm-hmm. it it does sound magical. It was. That's, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the, that's, you know, that's what I want to get at here. And in, in this to be named segment is um, that's the, you know, the magic of before you really learn about like animal abuse um, and, and, you know, animals in captivity. You know, I want to I want to hit at the heartstrings of this is what it's like to experience wonder through the lens of a child. Right. The magical zoo experiences. Yeah. Remember zoo books? I remember the ads for zoo books. On yeah, that's what. Kids. Yeah, that's all I'm asking about. That's, <laughs> no one ever. I never met a soul who had a zoo book. I just know everybody knew about zoo books. This was like the, the early 2000s. Like we were past yeah. magazines even at that point. Yeah. And they were really retro looking magazines. Yeah, they looked like the kind of thing you'd find in like a doctor's office uh and nowhere else right like i i did national geographic kids i subscribed to that because that had like this kind of fresh new aesthetic but zoo books like looked like hand-me-downs from like my older gen gen x brothers you know yes exactly yeah because national geographic kind of has like that timeless design where Mm -hmm. you pick one up from the early 2000s or you pick one up from today even though print media is dead and You'll be like, huh, yeah, this is a National Geographic. But zoo books are so time-stamped as a relic from uh, an unknowable ancient era. Because they were, they were like from the <laughs> 90s, 2000s, but they, you're right, they look so retro in just a, it's, it's like they fell through a rip in a time that doesn't exist. They've been truly lost to time, zoo yes. books. Yes, yes. Anyway... Um, we bought a zoo. It's a movie a zoo directed by. <laughs> we bought a fucking zoo books. Oh my god. We bought a zoo books is a podcast about zoo books and buying them. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's let's get back to dads. Let's get back to movie dads. Wait, actually, um, I do just want to mention oh. one thing that you just you just brought up quickly when you were like yeah. talking about zoos and captivity and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that moment where Matt Damon like faces down the bear or whatever? Yes. Yes. And he's describing it afterwards and he's like, man, that bear was free. <laughs> and then he goes right back to just like keeping them all in their enclosures. Yeah. Well, then he's he like, was so we close. To, he was like, we want to, I want to, I want to expand Buster's enclosure. That's what he, that's like his solution. <laughs> well, because, because what, what I don't understand, I mean, this is, I, I brought this up in the previous episode, but we can talk about it here too. Cause it's insane. Is I mean, one of the stipulations that the state, it's one of the first things that Matt Damon asks about buying the zoo. He's like, well, can't we just send the animals to like some sanctuary? And J.B. Smoove is like, no, this the state won't let you do that. So I, I think that like 
even if he wanted to free Buster, I don't know if he's allowed to. The rules of this universe aren't clear. That's that's a great point. Are you allowed to just, you know, tranquilize a bear, put him in the back of a pickup truck and bring him out to the woods? Or is someone going to stop you? Are you allowed to? I don't know. Can you? Should you? Should you? Must you? Will you? I will. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, we've actually we've actually backed our way into another segment that I wasn't expecting to actually do with you on this episode, but because you brought it up, um, this is a segment I'd like to call um, "How the fuck did the bear get out of the enclosure?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's we 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 never we never find out. Um, it's just they're driving in the car, and then suddenly there's a bear on the street. So, there is a, there is certainly a bear on the street. Yeah. So what do you think happened? People are saying more and more that there is a bear on the street. <laughs> How do you how do you think the bear got on the street, Spencer? Um, well, we find out later on that some of the locks are a little bit faulty. That's true. So the, right, Solomon, Scarjo's Solomon trying to get lion. out. Solomon the lion. Yeah. Scarjo's trying to get out, and the the lock fucks up, and she can't she can't lock it again, and she has to get McCready to come over and yeah. and hold it and and fix it before. Before you know, he's the, consumed the, by a beast, yeah. And before the guy who's in everything. Can, oh yeah, can the, uh, Walter. Before Walter Ferris, the horniest zoo inspector shows up. Horny man. We'll get to he's that. He's so horny. Yeah. So, so your theory is that it's just you know the upkeep on all of the enclosures is maybe not what it what it should be, and Buster's enclosure was loose. I think it it's implied that is this before or after those eighty four thousand dollar renovations? Oh, good question. I believe this is before. We just don't know the state of these enclosures and their locking mechanisms before he puts in all that cash left to him by his wife. Left to him by his wife, unknown how she got that money or why it wasn't disclosed in any kind of will. And also that it was just left to him as a clue in the pocket of a sweater that was almost certainly going to be discarded. I totally miss that. It was in the yeah, sweater? He, it was in the sweater pocket. He just pulls it out, and it's the receipt to the <laughs> d- deposit box. I yeah. completely missed that. Oh, yeah, my it's, God. It, it's a it's an insane scavenger hunt way to give your widowed, widowered husband uh, $84,000. Oh, I kind of fuck with that, actually. Like, more respect to the wife for, like, making it into this weird, like, Westing game kind of treasure hunt thing. Where she, like, knew that, like, he's not going to get rid of this fucking sweater. Right. He's She's not- like... Nah, He's not like gonna. my pheromones, that powerful, you know? <laughs> I know that I know that they're gonna have this whole back and forth where he's like, Rosie, should we get rid of the sweater? And she's gonna say yes, but then she sneaks off with it, and then Matt Damon's gonna put it on later and he's gonna Then they're gonna, gonna the buy pocket. a zoo. Oh my god. The but circus it's, but money. It's circus money. Did is that ever explained what the circus is it just a metaphor? Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's just there's a lot of like quirky isms that this family has. So I think circus money must have been just one of their quirky idioms that they would say. Mm-hmm. They have a lot that like appear once and never again. Like I mean, like the twenty seconds of insane courage seems to be something that was passed down from Duncan to Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Um, the oh, what does he say? He he like does a little like fork thing with Rosie where they like tap forks together. Uh, the, You're happy is too loud. That's another one. They have a lot of that like, was these a little isms. too cutesy. I thought. But I I, lo- I I liked it because it it's it was very much like a something you would say to a child. I, I don't know. There there's some moments that that really did it for me, and I think that that is one of them. I um, do like when 
movies when it kind of adds that world building quality to like a relationship or a family dynamic yes. because because that's that's how families are families don't exp- their in jokes don't make sense to yes the oh, lay there, person this there's one that i think works really well that that it only happens once but it just like i'm like i buy this relationship instantly is the first time that that benjamin and his brother are like trying to get lunch but they can't settle on a place Mm -hmm. and then he's like ah shit i gotta go and they never go anywhere but right before they leave i forget which one does it first but they just like before they go one of them is like and you are handsome and the other one's like and you are too and they put on this weird voice and they like nod to each other and they're like you're handsome my brother and it's like that is so weird, but I believe instantly that this is a weird thing that they say to each that's, other. That's brothers. Like, yes, I know I mentioned yes. I have three of them, but like that is that's brothers is just like, hey, oh, baby, that's brothers. <laughs> oh, baby. Welcome to this podcast. Oh, baby, that's brothers. Oh, baby, that's brothers. Welcome back. We only discuss brothers on this podcast. Hermanos. <laughs> that's how you say it in Spanish. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> I know this. How do you say it in French? Uh, frère. Oh, I knew that. I knew that. Yeah, come on. Do you want to know the scariest part of the movie for me? Uh, the concept of death? What? I don't know. The the singles the the moment I thought was legitimately scary in like a horror sense mm-hmm. is when he's looking at the photo of his wife. Yeah. On the computer. Yeah. And she opens her eyes. I love that moment. I'm sorry. That's beautiful. That's like some legete shit. I loved that. You know what that is? That is some like Shutter Island like fucking. <laughs> remember, remember the scene in Shutter Island when he's he's walking through the concentration camp past the pile of, of corpses. Yeah. And and you see the pile. It cuts back to him. And then it cuts again back to the pile. And one of them has its eyes open. I'm going to take your word. I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, but I'll take your word for it. It's a really, really scary moment. It's done really well. And that is what I thought of instantly when I watched that wife open her eyes. No, see, I think it's a deliberate callback to La Jetée. Do you remember La Jetée? I'm I'm shaking my head. This is the the short... Yeah, this is the short film that um, 12 Monkeys is based on. And the entire movie is told through still images with voiceover Hmm. these like these very exquisitely photographed um vignettes that you know it's the plot of 12 monkeys it's like a guy in the future where resources are limited goes is sent back in time by scientists to try to stop it but he has these visions of a woman that he doesn't know and blah 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 and then as he's in back as he's back in time he builds a relationship with this woman who's you know who he he inexplicably um is a drawn to and there's one scene the whole movie is is these sequential images of him interacting with the the past and with her and there's they spend the night together and the only time that there's moving images is when she wakes up in bed next to him and open her and opens her eyes and it feels it feels to me like this world-breaking moment where you think you're watching a format of something in one way and then it transforms into something else i think it it, it really feels to me like a, 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 a reference to that kind of like this love transcends the medium, you know, it, 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 it breaks the time that is that you are being shown it, if that makes sense. So, yeah, you know, he, he is viewing it as I don't like I, first of all, I love that scene. I think that scene. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of weird mes- metaphysical stuff in this movie because, like, I I love the end of the movie. I don't understand it logistically. They the, see the, the they see the, the wife. They see the wife. Well, I mean, they that's see the just, that's just that same dynamic coming back. 
Exactly. But, but I mean, that's the thing that's like, I, I like the ending a lot, but it's that thing that kind of like breaks down that, wait, what, what are the rules of what I'm watching? Right. You know? It's when you think, yeah, it's when you think you're yeah. watching one thing and then you realize that you're watching a completely other thing and that you don't know what might come next. Yes. But, but anyway, when I, when she opens her eyes at like, and it like transcends that boundary, I love that. And I, I, I think that has like a rich you know, metatextual history behind it. But I might be sure. totally wrong. I, I, I really wonder if, it, if it, it has anything to do with French cinema or if I'm just reading onto it like a lunatic. Well, I mean, if you are reading onto it, it sounds like it's a pretty good read because it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> so, is. nice. Wait, wait, yeah. It's not a reference. It's plagiarism. Right. I'm gonna Thank go, you, Cameron Crowe. Uh, We've got to arrest Cameron Crowe. <laughs> well, I mean, that sounds, it sounds exactly that, which is, which is cool. I, I haven't seen that film. Um, so I thought that he was... He was trying to do a, a cutesy, beautiful thing that for me, when I'm looking at a still picture of a dead woman, I, I don't <laughs> want her eyes to open. Like, that's just a little too much for me. Even if it was Captain Haddock? Don't talk about Captain Haddock dying, I, She's not going to die. No, but I'm saying if, imagine for one second that Captain Haddock is dead and you're looking lovingly at a photo of her. If she opened her eyes to greet you with, with a loving I, smile... Would that freak you out or would you would you smile back? I don't want to be too literal about it, but I would just think I'm cracking up. Uh, yeah, that's valid. Anyway, dads. <laughs> da dads in cinema. Ad Astra. Dads in cinema. I do want to talk oh, about Ad Astra, actually. I, I hated that movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. All right. What do you want to talk about Ad Astra? And then we'll fight about it. Uh, well, Ad Astra is, that's the movie I saw recently that I thought said something. It surprised me with what it was saying about father-son relationships like i i walked out of that movie and immediately my read was that it's it's a metaphor for having to care for an elderly father uh who's dealing with dementia mm -hmm. even if he was not even if you didn't have the best relationship while you were both lucid i think that's a good read i i think ad astra much like we bought a zoo i think that it is a movie whose relationship dynamics are stronger than the structure that holds it sure go on yeah so so i think that ad astra at its core is a father-son movie that also has a bunch of like space bullshit on it and the space bullshit is way less compelling than the drive of the movie which is like the, a, a son trying to help his father mm -hmm. and trying to understand his father and I think similarly, We Bought a Zoo is a much more compelling movie. No, listen, it's a much more compelling movie when you get rid of the zoo stuff. Well, I think that well, it's, it's, I mean, it's just it means, it's mapped on like it's just a genre that is mapped yes. onto a, a story that's about, about a very uh, a, a, a complex relationship. Yeah. But I think I think that complex relationship of like a family dealing with grief and like a, a father neglecting his son. And like, I think that is a much more interesting movie hidden in the kind of animal montages of we bought a zoo in the same way that i think that ad astra is also way longer than it needs to be also has an extraneous voiceover that you don't need and it does. also has has monkey antics of <laughs> vastly different monkey antics but but monkey antics nonetheless <laughs> god i love that moment it's a um, fucked up moment. Do you want to explain what the moment is to our to our listeners who may not um, have seen a, Ad Astra? Which I'm, I'm I didn't like this movie. I don't recommend watching Ad Astra. I do recommend it. So if you watch ah. it, tweet at us and let us know. <laughs> it, it, everyone who listens to this, tweet at us and tell us if you're planning on watching Ad Astra after. This. And then if you do watch it, 
let me know if you regret it because I did. Pay me one million dollars if you like it. How about you? How about you just tweet at Spencer if you like it? That's fine. Uh, at Rumi Crisis, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 just just in case someone does have a million dollars, plug your Venmo. Uh, I think it's my name. So Spencer Rothrose. Yeah, you can you can probably figure that out. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I guess uh, yeah. If somebody does have the means, I won't stop them from giving you a million dollars. I appreciate that. That's allyship. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> one one straight white man to another. <laughs> just talk about money. Um, the, the scene in Ad Astra is um, there's a there, there's a breach in the on the spaceship. Uh, no. Okay. No, sorry. no, no. They're going to investigate another right. spaceship. Yes. Uh, sorry. It's, I haven't, I saw this in theaters with Ben Silver. Shout out to wow. Ben. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. That is in theaters. So when the fuck was this movie in this theaters? This was like last even? winter. Oh my God. It was Oscar season, like maybe November. It was probably a year ago. Okay. I remember Ad Astra being a summer release. Am I crazy? Wait, this, this is not important. Okay. Keep going. Maybe. Um, Griffin Newman, how much did it make in its opening weekend? Fuck off. <laughs> Um, listen, j- listen. Just because Blank Check did an episode on We Pot a Zoo doesn't mean God. We bought a zoo. Fuck, we pot a- they did an episode on this podcast. <laughs> I wish. Oh fuck my God, yeah. Griffin, Griffin Newman, David Sims. If you're listening to this, I'd love to have you on. I know you already discussed We Bought a Zoo on your mini series We Pot a Cast, but they called it We Pot a Cast. That's pretty. Good. They called it We Pot a Cast. It was pretty good. But listen, hey, I you know there's 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 room in this world for for more than one uh, We Bought a Zoo podcast episode. Anyway, uh, at Astra, at Astra, at Astra, they're investigating um, another ship nearby that seems to be abandoned. Um, they enter the spaceship. Uh, Brad Pitt sees a, a, a space suit moving strangely, kind of floating above him. Mm-hmm. Um, the all of a sudden, there's a uh, I don't remember exactly how they shot it, but like there's a crazy jump scare in that yeah. it, it it is revealed that uh, the the person in the spacesuit has been almost entirely consumed by a monkey, a, uh, a crazed space baboon, a crazed space baboon who um, I guess was a science experiment on board the ship. It's such a good moment that that moment and the space, the moon pirates. That movie took me to places I wasn't expecting. I am just upset that the scene from the trailer of a holographic naked cowboy was not in the final cut of the film. Wait, where was that? It was like one of the scenes on Mars. It was in the it was in the first trailer for the movie where there's like a holographic naked cowboy. It looks like there's some kind of like party scene. No, I mean, I mean, where is the holographic naked cowboy and can he come over? Oh, uh, yeah. Let me grab his number real quick. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, just gonna hang out, drink some beer, see what happens. (laughs) I wonder who played him because that movie had a lot of wild cameos, like Sam Elliott, (laughs) Natasha Lyonne. Yeah, I know she's in it for a hot sec. Very, very brief. Very, very brief. Um, how didn't she have another cameo? An extremely brief cameo. It was something I just. uh, It was Honey Boy. Yes, was she's she's the wife on the phone, right? Or yeah, no, no, no. She's she's just the wife on the phone. Yeah, yeah, Honey Boy. I love Honey um, Boy. That's a that's a great father son movie. I was actually going to bring that up because yeah, that has I mean that dynamic I I can't speak to as much, but I did really appreciate like the kind of complex nature of of the relationship and how it does it doesn't necessarily redeem him, but it shows that the son has has grown up enough to accept his father for his faults. I think yes, and I I think we bought a zoo. Sorry, I have to keep bringing it back to no, we bought that, a zoo because that's the that's the podcast. It's just funny when you keep saying. Back to we bought a zoo. Back to we bought a zoo. Uh, 
it does allow these characters growth. I, I mean, they haven't totally repaired their relationship. You know, the father still hasn't really been able to say that he's sorry, but he is showing his son that he cares, you know? Well, what does he do? He turns the poster into the... He turns he turns the kid's drawing into, into the poster and the logo, but he's able to, like, sit down with him and have a heart-to-heart. He talks about, like, the 20 seconds of insane courage thing, and they, they kind of listen to each other without really giving giving and taking that much but they listen really they don't they don't act on it they listen right there's not a lot of listening it's it's at the beginning at least yes yeah yeah. and then there is that is like the first moment where they like hear each other even even if they don't totally heal by the end of the movie there is uh, a moment where they begin to i think that's important because we know that by i mean talk about extraneous voiceover there the, the movie begins with a voiceover from the sun you know, talking uh, about his his dad uh, was a writer who he wrote about his adventures. Did you know that, Zach? I didn't know. Do you want to tell me more about that? Uh, no, no, frankly, <laughs> yeah. I've already divulged yeah. too much. <laughs> the, yeah, the movie starts with that, and then that never comes back. But that is that is you know some implied future version of Dylan who has respect for his father and wants to tell us about the adventure. So there right. is a, a a future version of Dylan who is excited about his father. Um, but let's talk, let's let's go back to your dad. Let's go back to movie dads. Let's go back to, you know, what who Benjamin Me is in this movie, not as a person, because because I I don't feel qualified to speak to that right. yet. I might maybe I'll have you back on once I've read the book and we can talk about it. Can we have do Benjamin Me on? We should do a book club. Maybe I'll see if he's busy. I mean, he's in the UK, so the hello, time zone might, hello, time zone. I'm Benjamin <laughs> Me. <laughs> don't make fun of the man. His wife is dead. We bought you. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> How that comes out well in the in the recording. Oh my um, god! You 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 come off like an asshole. Do you remember the time that <laughs> Matt Damon is yelling at the tiger like it's his son? Yeah. And then, sort of, the the arc of him and the tiger is that that he has to accept that he's going to euthanize the tiger. Yeah, the tiger mixes a lot of metaphors. The whole time, the tiger... I'm like, are you saying you need to euthanize your son? Is that the key? The tiger represents way too much in this movie. I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to do an episode on the tiger. Yeah. On, on Spar. But like the tiger, for most of the movie, represents kind of the acceptance of death and mm-hmm. kind of like the acceptance of the death of his wife. But then in that one scene is like the vent of frustration about Dylan. That in a way, gets confusing. In a way that comes out of left field. I don't think it's out of character for Benjamin to be yelling at the tiger, but it is it is a confusing moment for the movie to conflate the the tiger with the sun. I agree. That yeah. that kind of caught me off guard. I thought it was funny. I I liked watching Matt Damon yell. Um, but I <laughs> oh, did love we love seeing that man yell. I didn't think that I thought that 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 uh, obfuscated more than it than it cleared up for me. Yeah, Although, I mean, at least like metaphorically speaking, yes. Right, it did. Although I, I do respect the idea of a father um, thinking or venting at an inanimate object as though it is his his uh, born his son born of him. It's <laughs> a weird, an insane way for you to phrase that, but yes, um, yes, yeah. I, my my grandfather, um, he he's in his late nineties. Mm-hmm. And um, he and my dad didn't have a great relationship growing up, but my dad's been uh, really kind of taking point on on caring for him now that he's getting really up there and doesn't doesn't remember much. Um, but uh, my dad told me that my grandfather was was one time struggling with a lamp 
this was like a few months ago. He was struggling to like screw on a lamp or something. And my dad comes over and he's like, dad, what, what's, what's going on? And my grandfather goes, this child won't behave. Whoa. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's just that the emotions that the, the lamp brought up mm-hmm. reminded him of something from his past. And so, you know, Matt Damon yelling at the tiger, that's, that's not crazy that's, to me. That's real. Yeah, no, no, that, I I buy that. Again, there are moments in this movie that I really buy. Yeah. Um, that's very heavy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, that, again, that came through my dad, so I don't know if he made it up. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, <fuck. laughs> but I thought it was... Um, it was poignant, regardless. Yeah. Uh, well, that and the moment where the lasagna wife is really horny for Matt Damon. Like, I oh thought that God. those were the moments that rang true for me. Yeah. Desi Lydic is so horny for Matt Damon. Just way too horny for... That, that comes way five minutes into the film. Yeah. Every mom is so horny for Matt Damon. It's very inappropriate. This man's wife just died. Who was this movie for, Zach? I don't know. Because it is a family Christmas release. It's rated PG. A lot of the the movie feels like it's geared at kids because it's about animals and it and it has a cute kid like it has two two children. The daughter is so cute. I she's an incre- she's so good in this movie. Yeah, she I think, is. I think that some of the writing again, it's like you can tell when when like the scenes that don't work kind of really stick out, but the the scenes that do work are really well done, and she's an incredible actor. But but then like the, all the father son stuff. I mean like. They yell at each other a lot. Dylan says bullshit. So they cuss in this film. There's cussing. There is cussing. He she calls him a dick. Yep. Um can you do that in PG? What's the what's the cutoff? Apparent there? apparently you can cuz he says bullshit, he says damn it. She says dick. There's a lot of like implied sexual stuff and there also is. like imp- like a lot of stuff about death. That's mm-hmm. the thing is that like there's a lot of stuff about death in this movie and that is what like makes it it's it's death that is accessible for kids because it's explained in a way that is, you know, through animals, but is also right. like very heavy. It is very heavy. Mm. I mean, if I find a kid watching that, I'm going to think I really don't want my mom to die. Like, that's what well, I'm going to think. I think maybe that's who this movie is for, is for people who are dealing with that loss. Because here's, okay, so here is um, on on kind of like my side of it with my dad. You know, he is somebody who he's also a writer and he is somebody who lost his mom when he was very young. Like mm-hmm. she she died from brain cancer when he was, I think, nine. Oh, wow. And that was very difficult for him and difficult for their family. Growing, He was, you know, one of three kids and his dad was, you know, kind of checked out and it was a really difficult experience. And very recently, you know, in the mid 2000s, he was able to like write about it in the form of a kid's book and you know a fictionalized version of his childhood called milo where like milo like the the you know it's a it's you know slice of life but the the context there is that milo has lost his mother recently Mm -hmm. and you know i don't know a ton about the history here but i know that cameron crow is dealing with the death of his father i think at at the time Uh, uh, several years later i think he wrote I think he wrote Elizabeth Town pretty quickly after it happened because that movie is also about the death of, of a father mm, and about how you um, want to murder yourself with a stationary bike. Yeah, that movie is buck wild. I don't recommend it. It's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. <laughs> Orlando Bloom is a bad, bad actor in that movie. I haven't seen it. I've listened to the blank check episode. Yeah, no, I did watch that movie, unfortunately, and I 
I simply cannot recommend anyone in good faith watch that movie. I do know people who like it. I, I have met people who like it, and I, I simply don't understand why. That movie cemented the, the idea identity of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl mm-hmm. through, through the Kirsten Dunst character. That movie is, is should, you know, should be studied in every, you know, under a microscope for, for the, the harm it has caused cinema. Cameron Crowe, if you're listening. Cameron Crowe, if you're listening, I'd, I'd love to have you on the podcast. <laughs> I'd love to talk about We Bought a Zoo. But yeah, no, I think so. So I think I think honestly, it, this movie is a meditation on loss from the, the lens of somebody who has lost. And I think through that, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who I might also have on the podcast. And she was saying like, yeah, I was rewatching this movie and, you know, I've, I've, I've lost a parent recently and this movie hit me very hard. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like, you know, there's a lot to, you know, uh, rag on with this movie because it's a, an absurd movie that left no cultural footprint. But it is it, when it is talking about like grief and loss and overcoming that, I think it does a good job. And I again, it's it's this it's it's these scenes of very intense relationship drama that feel like they're plucked from a better movie mm-hmm. and they're wrapped in this zoo space baboon bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean. That that's the strongest stuff usually that Cameron Crowe does. I think is like occasionally he'll have this brilliantly written scene that makes a lot of sense, and and strikes a lot of the right emotional chords, yeah. um, and then it's usually covered in like a thick layer of schmaltz. Yep. But you know, I mean, if this it can have a valuable purpose, um, and like like you were saying with your dad, like you know, there's definitely a space for these type of of accessible you know forms of entertainment that do that might yes. help people actually process those and i, yes. I hadn't thought about that i i do th- i mean like i don't know how successful this movie is because it hasn't become a kind of staple that right. people talk about when they're talking about you know processing grief through movies because this the, again this movie's insane but he kicks I a, think, a snake he kicks a fucking that Sydney had to like stop and focus on that for a while because it is an insane part of the movie. Like the snake he, got kicked. The snake is probably dead, and and that is he faces no consequences for kicking a snake. Scarlett Johansson's like, ah, I probably shouldn't have punted that snake. Yeah. God damn it. Kicks a snake. Fucking Dylan. Fucking Dylan in this movie. I fucking hate that kid. I respect Dylan. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> Dude, much much love to Dylan. <laughs> Shout out to Dylan. Dylan, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the pod. His his drawings are good. It looks like King Crimson. I I said that in the last episode. The, 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 the That's face, exactly that. It's some whoever the production whoever the fucking like set mm-hmm. deck who was like mm-hmm. doing that production design work was like listening to King Crimson while they were drawing that. So now that I'm working in advertising and I'm I'm working a lot in um for the for full disclosure, I work for a video post production house, does a lot of commercials. Um, you know, occasionally some docs, occasionally some music videos, but mainly commercials. Mm-hmm. Um and I, a lot of effort is put into the music options that we that we show, and oftentimes we'll be like we'll put on a, a very famous song, and then we'll say okay, tell the music house to just do a song that's basically this but not that, right? Mm. So it'll be like you know we'll have, we'll do like this Pharrell song, but like don't have it be exactly that, but just make it sound you know give us that Pharrell vibe, yeah. And um, so surely surely whoever was like production designing or art designing that movie was like mm-hmm. you know that king crimson album cover 21st century schizoid man you know that Kanye did it yeah you know that yeah, one uh uh court of the crimson king yeah yeah 
He said, you know, here's this, here's this. We printed this out for you. Make it be this, but not exactly that. It's that thing of like, um, that meme of like, you know, you have to copy the homework, but you can't let the teacher know that you copied the homework. Fuck it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make Make it a different color. Right, but basically have it be that. Basically have it be exactly the same. Anyway, it's yeah. pretty good. It's better than the tiger he does at the end. Well, because the tiger is so clearly a different artist. Right. Who just like. So clearly. A v- very simple line work of a, of a it has, tiger. It has none of like his his brush style. Like, yeah. Not He's an a artist, very like, but, like sketch sketch heavy artist. Yeah. And, and that looks like a stencil, sketchy. right? Like it yes. looks like. Yes. Not so good. Anyway, this is all about um, Dylan's uh, de-evolution as an artist. How he, he, he <laughs> he's he, selling out. He sells out of you. He goes commercial. <laughs> Although I want to, I want to, I want to see the follow-up movie to this. Like ten years later, where like Dylan is like a burnt-out ad exec and he's like miserable at his job, or he's like a graphic designer rather. He's fucking miserable. He's like doing typography for like Twinkies, and he's like Jesus. fucking hates everything. <laughs> I was wondering why the principal put up the poster at the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you're going to expel the kid for that, don't put it up. Like, why would yeah. you? Why wouldn't you just take that down immediately? <laughs> to, to talk to, uh, just intervene. Do a better talking about parents. You know, my mom works as a school counselor. Basically, she's not like a guidance counselor. She's like a like a uh, social social worker in the school. So I'm saying, if my mom was working at that school. She, they would have instead of like expelling that kid they would have called the dad and the son into her office and would have had an intervention and they would have looked over his art and they would have talked about what was bothering him right. basically i'm saying that if my mom was on the set of this movie none of this shit would have happened they wouldn't have bought a zoo they wouldn't have bought a freaking zoo they would have stayed in that house with dylan's friends what's wild to me about the, like the logistics of where they lived is that like there where was a loud party i don't know there was a loud party next door but the horny mom was at the party wait that was horny mom that was horny mom who like waved through the yeah. window yeah oh my god i didn't pick up on that yeah i have a lot of logistical questions about this movie how far away do you think the zoo is from that house well we know it's 9.2 miles to the nearest target <laughs> did you add the so, point two? they don't say the point two. they do say point two because because they say they say when he comes back with the butter he's like you know really it was 9.2 miles so really 18.4 miles is how long the trip was i thought that scene was kind of cute but then again that's another episode that's another instance of me being like the dad just wants to show how dedicated he is to his kids yes and the unrealistic thing about that scene is when he gets back and Dylan is like, you know, I found butter, right? Like, he should have just called his freaking dad. Call, call your dad, man. Coming at this from the perspective of, like, a son. A son with a writer adventure father. What, how would you, if you were in Dylan's shoes, how would you have handled this differently? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't an acty out kid. I was mm. very, like, in my own head, I think. I was very, you know, neurotic, like would keep things inside but also be very like pouty i guess so i don't think i would have like i would get in the screaming matches but they wouldn't like go anywhere like like (laughs) by that point my mom would have intervened in this you don't have a mom i don't have a mom fuck that's so sad (laughs) i'm I'm understanding this movie now (laughs) so would you so in this scenario now you start to act out and you start to steal money from the school i'm gonna steal money i'm gonna like (laughs) ignore l fanning is what i'm gonna do 
God, I fucking hate the way he ignores Elle Fanning. It's rude. It's very rude. She's in love um, with you. She's if, so If you love her, let her know. If you love her, let her know for on the sign. If you love me, let me know. I think I was just um, like identifying with the, the Dylan character in that I definitely like, I understand feeling like you are getting dragged along on your father's adventures that he plans on writing about. When I was watching this, when he starts to buy a zoo, yeah, <laughs> you know that part in the movie. Um, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't take him seriously. I couldn't take Matt Damon seriously because I was thinking he's doing this so he can get a story out of it. Yeah, I don't know if that's like an obvious thing to most viewers, but like, you're you're nodding. That is that is obvious to you. No, no, no. I, I'm not. I'm not nodding because that's obvious. I'm I'm nodding because I agree with that read of the movie because he's doing it so that one he can get us like a, an adventure out of it he loves adventures he can get a story out of it mm-hmm. he can give rosie a magical childhood through mm-hmm. like the, the the wildness of it and he just kind of assumes that that's what dylan will want as well right it's it's definitely that feeling of of thinking that like truly believing that you know what's best for your family for mm-hmm. your kids um, which sometimes is true and sometimes is not. Well, I think it's it's true for Rosie and not for Dylan. And he never right. considers the damage he's doing to Dylan. Right. Like, I know he got expelled and everything, but like he had to, you know, move however many miles away um, mm-hmm. from his friends. And at that age, that's huge. He's yeah. 14. Yep. Like you're a freshman in, in high school. That's like a really formative time. Um, and so feeling, so being like, I don't know, like my dumb dad is making me do this like that's that's a lot to handle i think as a kid and dylan doesn't do a great job of handling it of course but well i mean would you I no mean, you, yeah yeah you were not. just you were just saying that like that's been sometimes your experience of like knowing that someone is or or a father figure is doing something explicitly for for their work or their writing or for them right and it's never you know without us in mind but it's always it's always like, oh yeah, they'll be there and they'll love it because I'm having a good time and because I'll get something out of it and hopefully they will too. So there was that feeling of like, it was sort of a cynical read of of why the zoo was bought by him. I don't think it's wrong. I do not think it's a wrong read. And I think, you know, he pays for it as far as like the relationship with his son goes. Right. The, that kind of like deterioration. And, and that kind of reconciliation scene we were talking about where like they sit down and, and Matt Damon's like, well... How about we just say what we want the other person to say? And Dylan says, like, I wish you'd say I'm sorry that I dragged you out here. Yeah. You know, that's what that, you know, that's the crux of it is that, like, Matt Damon doesn't own up that it's not, that it wasn't the best thing for Dylan. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the central theme of the movie, really, along with, along with grief. Yeah. (laughs) This movie has a lot of central themes. A lot of central themes. A lot of, a lot of tigers just standing for a lot of central themes. (laughs) (laughs) yeah the other the other tiger in the background of the movie whose name we never learn stands in for the relationship with the brother (laughs) thomas hayden church thomas hayden church is like the ostrich (laughs) god thomas hayden church is so weird in this movie i love him in this movie he's i I don't i've I've only ever seen him in spider-man i don't know i'm sure that i've seen him in something else but like that is what comes to mind is is the sandman in in spider-man he's so good as sandman He's so good as Sandman. Let's talk about Sandman for a hot second. Now that's a dad. That oh Sandman's such a dad. Daddy? Sandman, well he 
He is. He's a freaking. He's doing it all for his freaking daughter. Right. He's Mike Ermintrout. Yeah. Oh, Mike Ermintrout. Now that's a. We'll, we'll save this for our spinoff podcast. We we called us all. Oh, he's coughing. Fuck. Oh my god. I liked that. I liked that joke. Thank you, friend. Oh fuck. Oh my god. Oh, uh, well, yeah. should we call it? How how long have we been going? How do we feel about this episode? We're uh, about a gig and a half in. <laughs> fuck, I just like hiccuped into the microphone. So I think that is, if I start hiccuping now, it's the end of the episode. Yeah, we'll 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 sum up. We'll do a little. Uh... But yeah, let's let's wrap it up. Do you wanna do you wanna tie a bow on dad talk for now? Yeah, I guess. I think my takeaway is that I was I'm skeptical of the Matt Damon character. I know there is a lot because a writer can only write about himself while filtering it through his own lens and consequently a director can only write about a semi-autobiographical character etc etc well well, that's the thing i think that i think that cameron crow is inserting a lot of himself into this character right and i think that i'd I'd be very curious if you would like to accompany me on a, a, a magical zoological book club we could return to this theme of you know, the writer's identity and how that is filtered uh, through, you know, like the self and then through the camera lens version of the self played by a movie star. Like, I- I'd be very curious to re-examine this movie with that lens and that relationship with that lens mm-hmm. if you would like to read Benjamin Mee's book. With wow, him. what an offer. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk off pod. But maybe uh, maybe, maybe gonna, we'll see you me don't again. Wanna, you don't want to fucking read that book is what you're saying. <laughs> Um, another 15 seconds of silence in the recording as you <laughs> contemplate this <laughs> horrible offer. Oh, no, I'm off that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to contemplate <laughs> that for another 15 days. Um, so just because I, I know the differences between the real life experience of a writer and his family versus mm-hmm. what gets put out to the public, um, I'm skeptical of it. I don't think they always get neatly wrapped up into a movie directed by Cameron Crowe or by Richard Linkletter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I, I was rolling my eyes a little bit at, at Benjamin me because I know what goes into creating a character like that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I thought there was a lot, the movie had a lot going for it with those characters. I thought, yeah, I thought the relationship between him and his son was surprisingly, um, affecting. Yeah. A lot of nuance to it, which is was unexpected in this movie. Yeah. I don't know. We haven't mentioned ScarJo at all. That's fine. <laughs> That's uh, we don't need to talk about ScarJo. <laughs> um, I really, you know, she's fine. She's she's fine. She becomes their mom like real fast. You know, I hate, they did. They didn't need to do that. Yeah, she like, could have just. She could have just been the coworker. She didn't need to become the surrogate mother. Yeah, but that she's bummed. really hot. Don't you get it? Like two characters say how hot she is, and she's twenty eight, and she <laughs> and she, she lives, lives with, with her mom. She lives with her mom. <laughs> <laughs> and her 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 brief marriage that was a cage oh what the fuck yeah thank you for that <laughs> that um, line was insane insane i like the zugma i like the the kind of like i felt trapped in the tiger cage and my life you know i liked that <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it was a nice movie to watch with uh with the dear captain usually yep. i make her watch oh, she, oh like, she watched it too she watched the second half with me. Yeah. What did she think of of the second half? 
you want to get her on? Do you want to call? Do you want to get her her opinion for the 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 last end of the podcast? I think she's in the middle of watching what might be the Bachelorette. It's it's whatever's uh, on right now. Um, I don't know. Well, but, you can fill me. You can fill me in off mic what she <laughs> thought about the movie. Yeah. Um. But so she definitely appreciated me suggesting that we watch a movie that was like pleasant and like mm. and like easy to watch and yeah. not horribly violent. No, really, really no violence in this movie. Uh, he does get when he has to like climb over the porcupine fence. He falls into the briars. That's kind of yes. scary. Yeah, that's kind of scary. The bear does swat his gun out of his hand. That's kind of scary. She jumped. She jumped so <laughs> high at that part. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Because <laughs> she's like half asleep. She's like, oh, I'm gonna like fall asleep to this movie. Bam! There goes the gun. <laughs> Captain Haddock. <laughs> You silly thing. Oh man, I'm checking my notes. <laughs> see if I have anything. Uh... Oh yeah, please check it. I have 20 pages of notes, so I'm I'm not at a loss of stuff to talk. I about do want to say that the um the first scene in the car where they're eating the subway. Yes, that rang true. As I'm like a dad who doesn't have time to prepare lunch, so he subway goes to buy is subway. the epitome to me of a divorced dad needs to like errands with his kids needs a quick lunch. So I I liked that. Yeah. I was yes yeah I I don't I'm not watching it through that lens of, of a single father so I was worried that that was just product placement but I like that it is also a, a very true thing like the second I saw that I don't know if we know that the mom has died at that point no we find out immediately afterwards but the second I saw that I was like there's no mom in the picture yeah that's <laughs> so, I, I, something's that's wrong a, <laughs> that is a fascinating uh, tell. And that is like that is so not my perspective. I I, I mm-hmm. appreciate that perspective. Well, that's that type of like very specific writing that like you'd throw that like it comes from lived experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're like, oh, this whoever did this screen did Cameron Crow write it? He he did the second pass at it. There was I forget who the writer is, um, who did the the first draft, but then they brought Cameron Crow on to direct, and he did a rewrite. Yeah, shout out this whoever did the subway. Whoever did, but whoever potentially did the subway. Whether it was Cameron Crowe or uh, uh, Aileen Brosh McKenna is the the writer. Oh, who wrote uh, 27 Dresses and The Devil Wears Prada? Whoa. And, and uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? Whoa. Some heavy shit. hitters. Yeah. Very cool. That's... Damn. Again, this movie has so much going for it, and and yet, like behind the scene, like cast and crew, but really just just left no impact. Did I? Am I making up that Rodrigo Prieto photographed it? Like, did he shoot it? Uh, yeah, he did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's he's the Scorsese and Inarritu. Yeah. I mean, listen, he does a good job. There, there's. I in a future episode, I definitely do want to talk about a lot of the work that the, the cinematography does because I think I, that there's some beautiful shots. Yes. 100%. There's where they, where they first come over the rise kind of yep. at the zoo. <laughs> yep. There's there's be- I mean this is we could talk about the role of sunlight in this movie, but I think that like there's a lot of really beautiful backlit shots of of characters and animals with like the the sun just like streaming through branches behind mm-hmm. them and it's, go- it's frankly it's gorgeous. There are there are stills from this movie that Oh, I mean talk about the um the scene with Matt Damon looking at at photos, the the shot of like the memories of his wife dancing in the reflection of his glasses. Gorgeous. Yeah, it's a nice shot. That is a gorgeous shot. But yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah, this movie has, has a lot of heavy hitters. That's so interesting. Um, but is but is ultimately nothing. 
it's mean. It, it ultimately collapses in on itself. Much like the space station from Ad Astra. D- I, think, I it... think you like that movie. No, I just remember it. I don't like it. <laughs> I think you like it. I really, I, I was so bored during that movie. Yeah, it's James Gray. You're supposed to be bored. Ugh, that's not a good endorsement <laughs> for a movie. <laughs> but then there are moon pirates and then it makes it all worth it. Oh, does it? That happens so early in the movie and there's so much left. There's so much left after the moon pirates. The man propels himself back to Earth from Neptune with a nuclear explosion. <sighs> I'm going to be honest. I fell asleep during that part. <laughs> so the end? Yeah, I really, I really, the, the end of that movie is a haze. Oh man! Uh, doesn't doesn't the dad explode? I don't remember. I think he does comes back with the dad. Does he come back with the dad, or just the I dad? Crazy? I thought the dad like no goes the... flying off into space. I think you're right. I think I, the question is whether Brad Pitt is going to make it back, and I didn't think he was going to make it back. Does he make it back? He does make it back. He does. He does the Sandra Bullock return to Earth. He goes add Earth. <laughs> this has been We Pot a Zoo. <laughs> Please rate and review on itunes favorably <laughs> um <laughs> uh spencer do you have anything to plug um get ready for my my movie pass podcast follow me on twitter at roomy crisis um let me know about your cool video projects because i'd love to be involved hell yeah this man's looking for work Woo! um you can follow uh we pod a zoo on twitter and instagram if you go to dartmoorzoo.org.uk, that is the uh, zoological park that the movie is based on. Um, they are currently uh, experiencing difficulties due to COVID, so you can throw a donation their way if you're so inclined. Um, thank you to RT Coburl for the intro and outro music and Sydney Gish for... <laughs> Let me take that again. Sydney uh, Gish. Sydney <laughs> Gish. This is uh, the outro as done by Sean Connery. Thank you to Archie Cobalt for intro and outro music and Sydney Gish for her vocal. I'm going to stop that bit. Thank you for our <laughs> fucking hell. Thank you. To... <laughs> Can you tell they're recording this at 10 p.m.? <laughs> Thank you, you to Archie. You recorded 11 yesterday. <laughs> I was excited. I was amped up. I was ready. You're the one who couldn't stomach it. That's true. <laughs> Wrap this up. Thank you to Archie Cobral for the intro and outro music and Sydney Gish for her vocals on the intro. You can find links to their work on our Twitter. Special thanks to my friend Dylan at Adult Human Bitch for coming up with the name We Pod a Zoo. That was Dylan? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Classic. That was like that was like when I like suggested I was like, would anyone listen to a podcast about We We Bought a Zoo? And like her first comment was, It needs to be called We Pod a Zoo. It's like, like, that's my yes. only stipulation. You can have this idea for free, but. <laughs> but. Um, uh, what else? You can follow me at Zach Silverberg on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, gosh, Spencer, why do we do this podcast? Why not? See you next time. <laughs> Stop the recording. Was my why not good? I feel like it should have been it more great. like. No, feel, it was it was right. great. I'm not. No, no, no retakes. Why not? Why not? There's a movie called We Bought a Zoo. Guess what happens? There's a zoo for sale and it gets bought by Matt Damon, a grieving single father in search of closure, hoping to find it in a tiger or a bear enclosure. We bought a zoo. It 
It's a film by Cameron Crowe. We bought a zoo. Buy it now so you can go home and enjoy it with your friends and family. We bought a zoo. I'll buy a zoo.